Well, good morning, Lindsley Avenue. Good morning. It's good to see everyone this morning. We're glad you're here if you're visiting. And we hope you will come back and join us again whenever you can. I will say before we get into the lesson, there aren't a whole lot of places this morning that have as good a song leader as we do here at Lindsley Avenue. Amen. We really appreciate Evan. He does a great job. Great job. Uh, that and $10 may get him a cup of coffee. I don't know what uh, coffee costs these days, but I uh, really appreciate you. We're going to look this morning at Psalm 37. I uh, had decided earlier this year, late last year, to preach some this year from the Psalms. And as I was simply thumbing through the Psalms, a couple of them stood out, and this is one of them. We talked about Psalm 32 uh, last week with Forgiven. And Psalm 37 jumps out because if I were quoting from the psalm without telling you, quoting the words without telling you where it was coming from, you might think it was from another book. Because Psalm 37 reads a whole lot as if it might belong over in the book of Proverbs. And so I had truly, I, I've read through the psalms before, but it never struck me quite that way. So Proverbs and the book of Psalms is what we're going to discuss here this morning. As I say, usually we think of Proverbs in the book of Proverbs. However, it's not always true. Right here in the middle of the book of Psalms is an entire chapter that can often be overlooked. So let's look at some of those this morning, and we may circle back for some of the other verses in Psalm 37 in a future time. Starting off with what Thorough read, this is from the New Century Version. It says, don't be upset because of evil people. Don't be jealous of those who do wrong, because like the grass, they will soon dry up. Like green plants, they will soon die away. It's a very common thing for the righteous to fret, to worry. For God's people to worry, especially when we see evil people prospering, evil people succeed. Why do the wicked people seem to experience so much prosperity? When you look up here at the start of the uh, verse, verse 1 up there, don't be upset literally means don't get heated. You ever gotten angry and it seems like the temperature in the room went up? <laughs> you know, that's why in cartoons they'll show somebody that's angry often with steam coming out of the collar of their shirt up here because you get, what's the phrase? Hot under the collar, right? And so that's not a new uh, statement. That's not a new phrasing. David used it all the way back here in the book of Psalms. We might say, don't get worked up, or to put it into something that probably is already out of style. Hey, you know, be cool, you know, chill, or something to that effect. Don't get upset because of evil people. To fret is to worry. Why do I fret? To have heartburn. Some of us have heartburn. Don't cause yourself heartburn by getting worked up, overheated about things that really, truly don't matter. This worry, I think, is, is wrong, especially when we're told not to worry. Uh, it's, it's often harmful and really is needless. Worrying about how the wicked people are doing, the unrighteous people are doing, how is that going to improve one little thing in my life? Jesus had said, which of you by worrying can add one cubit to your stature? <clears throat> if I could worry and add hair to the top of my head, that would be a good thing. Obviously, if I'm worrying, it's not working very well, is it? So the prosperity of evil people, the psalmist says, does not last. It does not last. It might seem green for a while, but 
I want to give you one little guess if this were a picture of my yard, which side my yard usually is. <laughs> you know, no matter how much trouble somebody goes with grass, if they happen to have a yard, <clears throat> it'll often turn brown at some point. It doesn't stay green. Same thing for evil people. Their prosperity is just temporary. It does not and will not last. Now, when I say it's not going to last, I'm talking about perhaps even beyond the time frame of their life. It's absolutely true that there are people who we would probably look at and say, they seem certainly to be living a very wicked, evil lifestyle, and they may die with a whole lot of money still in their bank account. So make sure we keep that in mind here as we talk. Continuing now, skipping down to verse 7 through 10. And I'm going to do this because I'm going to focus on the theme throughout the chapter, and then we'll come back and look at some comments to the righteous people uh, toward the end of the discussion this morning. Down in verse 7, uh, the psalmist says, Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. Have you noticed he uses that phrase? more than once now. Fret not yourself, it only tends to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. And I've switched over to the English Standard Version from here on. The text says, forsake wrath. You see that there? Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Well, wrath with whom? Who are we talking about being angry with here? Who's the psalmist talking about? He doesn't really say, the writer doesn't say who to forsake wrath. So you could say forsake all wrath. But I think when we think about it, when righteous people get upset in this way, when we get fretting about evil people that seem to be prospering, it seems to me there's really two options of who most of the time we might be angry with. Could be with evil people, could be with God. You could be angry at the evil people for somehow or other prospering when they're doing bad things, and yet I'm trying my best to be a good person, and I'm not prospering. And so anger can be directed at the evil people. We see that all over the place in our society today. Much of the anger that's present in society is at people who are successful, whether evil or not. Well, I would suggest to all of us that that's misplaced. Certainly, evil people should be held to account. Don't get me wrong on that at all, but fretting by me, worrying by me, Anger that might come to me with or against evil people is going to be like trying to add hairs to my head. Now, the other option here is that it could be anger with God. How could God allow these evil people over here to succeed? Now, if we were all being honest, there'd be somebody else in the room who would admit to feeling that way at some point. Because here I am trying to be a good child of God. I'm trying to love my neighbor. I'm trying to love God. I'm trying to do the right thing. 
as much as I can. I'm trying to keep my life focused on headed home to be with God. Yet I'm not getting all these material blessings. Or at the very least, these people who aren't paying any attention to God certainly seem to have a lot more than I do. So, you know, I look might be upward and say, what's going on, God? So those are two options. The psalmist doesn't say, I suggest to you they both are possible. And at various times, either one might be the person against whom anger is directed. And he says, it only tends to evil. Did you notice that? When you get angry with somebody, it only tends to evil. When people get angry, when they get hot under the collar, right? It's because they are very, very close to losing control of themselves. And one of the things we, as God's children, are taught is a fruit of the Spirit, the Spirit dwelling within us, should generate self-control. So anger needs to be far away from us, and we need to be in control of ourselves. When we get angry, you're tiptoeing over to the line where you're going to do something you will regret later. In verse 9, it says, the evildoer shall be cut off. You see that up there at the top? The evildoers will be cut off. Uh, this word means destroy. Destroy. When the Jews came out of Egypt uh, with Moses, God cut off, it's the same word, God cut off or destroyed the Egyptian armies, the people chasing after them. God will destroy the evil people that make life hard for his people. He'll do it. I don't have to. God will do it. Continuing in verse 12. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day, the wicked's day, is coming. The wicked draw the sword and they bend their bows to bring down the poor and the needy to slay those whose way is upright. The wicked have drawn their sword, right? And they've bent the bow. They plot and gnash their teeth, but it doesn't stop there. Now, when we think about gnashing the teeth, that's this idea of being, right? I don't know, maybe if I could lift my lips up, you'd be able to see a little better, but where you just got your teeth clenched and you're going, it's a, it's a sign again of anger and of losing control. Well, the wicked are to an extent, losing control against the righteous, against those who are even poor and needy because that's their enemy, that's their enemy. They work to carry out their plots and have a fierce anger toward God's people. Look what God says though in verse 15. Remember, the wicked have drawn their sword, they've got their bow pulled back. Well, what's gonna happen? Remember, we already saw God's, God's laughing at them because he knows their day's coming. But they're going to get what they deserve. The day's coming when the tables will be turned. Here's what God says will happen to them. Their sword will enter their own heart and their bows will be broken. You draw your sword against my people? That's a real shame you've done that because that sword's going to do nothing other than hurt yourself. And that's going back, I would suggest to us, with the self-destructive nature of living as an evil person. Rather than having love and joy and peace, evil people 
over time destroying themselves. And so they may seem to be prospering now for a short time, but it's not going to last. Even so, God's going to protect his own. Rather than me being angry at the evil person, or me, heaven forbid, being angry with God for not fixing this problem that I'm paying attention to, instead of paying attention to the things I should be paying attention to, I really shouldn't worry. Because God's going to take care of the evil people. He sits in heaven laughing at the evil people who think they are getting ahead, who think they've pulled one over on God's people down here. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. Look at that. Better is it's much better to be a righteous person and actually have little than to be a wicked person and have a lot. From God's perspective and the perspective we ought to have, it's better to be a righteous person living as God wants us to be on the inside and interacting with people the way he wants than to ever be a wicked person and be very, very, very rich. Now, remember, I'm not at all going to suggest that every rich person that's living is a plotting evil person. Uh, many, many people in our society who are good neighbors or who are bad neighbors may have different amounts of stuff, but there certainly are people who are evil who seek to take advantage of others. That type of individual is exactly the one here that God says the arms of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord will uphold the righteous. Since whatever the wicked has will not last, no matter what it is, whatever the righteous have, kind of by opposite definition, will last. A God-trusting, righteous life is the best long-term investment any one of us can make. No idea why that came up. In the middle of the discussion, the computer's telling me, hey, it's time to restart. You've got to love Windows. The reward of the wicked is to have their arms broken. That's what they get for living their lifestyle. To have their arms broken. The reward of the righteous is, as it were, to be upheld by God's own arms. If I'm supporting myself, if I'm really heading into my future by my own two feet, by my own arms, if I'm trying to do it myself, I'm headed towards a future that needs a whole lot of casts. Because my arms, my legs, my efforts are going to fail and be broken. On the other hand, the one who is righteous and living for God, God's arms, as it were. The contrast is right there. It doesn't say God's arms. The Lord upholds the righteous. Upholds the righteous with what? Well, in our way of thinking, it's as if he, he grabs the righteous and holds us up with his own arms. wicked will perish in verse 20. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. You ever driven past you know, a lot of green on the side of a hill or even if you're on the interstate, sometimes in the middle of the interstate, you'll come upon suddenly this beautiful, beautiful thing of flowers. It can be really nice if you're having to drive a long time. What do you think it looks like right now? A mess. 
a mess, probably a whole lot of mud from where trucks have had to pull off into the median and all that kind of stuff. The glories of the pasture vanish. Like smoke, they vanish away. And then he says, the wicked borrows but does not pay back. So take a look at this with me here. Take a look at this. The enemies of the Lord are like the glories of the pastures. They vanish and like smoke, they vanish away. The success, fame, and the prosperity of the wicked is as temporary as smoke. It, smoke eventually dissipates. You, you may have seen the start of football games. They set off all these huge firework displays, and I just laugh because if, if there's not a good wind, it may take a little while for the smoke to go away. The cameras are always up high, and sometimes you can't hardly see the players because of all the smoke. They should have thought ahead. Is a big fan, I guess, if you don't have a lot of wind. But eventually the smoke clears. It vanishes. There may have been smoke over here at uh, Nissan Stadium yesterday, but I, I don't imagine there's smoke today. It's gone. Smoke eventually vanishes. It never has any real substance. Now, some ancient manuscripts, uh, when you look at another wording uh, here of uh, verse 20, Psalm 37, render this line a little differently. In most of our uh, Bibles, it's going to be rendered this way. But there's a minority of manuscripts that say it a little differently. I want to call attention to it because I think it's an interesting perspective. They vanish like smoke. They vanish away. What it reads is that the wicked will be consumed as the fat of lambs. When you think about worshiping God in this time, it involves sacrifice. And it involves usually offering the fat of the sacrifice to God. Juiciest parts that will generate a lot of smoke. Like fat on the altar, they will be consumed. As the fat's fully consumed and the sacrifices by the fire of the altar, so the wicked will be consumed by the wrath of God. It's not going to last. It's not worth my time and energy, I think really is the important part, to get as worked up over it as we sometimes do. It's not a very pretty picture for the future of the wicked. So what can God's people do? What can we do in a world where the unrighteous seem to prosper? There are several verses here. And again, I told you I was skipping ahead and leaving out a couple of verses. I'm going to go back now and follow what God's statements are to the righteous people in this passage. All the way back in verse 3. The wicked are prospering when I'm tempted to fret about it, when I'm tempted to worry about it. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. It's really amazing how quickly we can get distracted from the simple work of trusting God and doing good. You remember our New Year's resolution for 2021 here at Lindsley Avenue? Hopefully. It was to love God and love our neighbor. That was last year. And this year we're focusing on bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. But what is the law of Christ? The new commandment that he gave us. The new commandment he gives us is that we love one another. So I freely admit I cheated in 2022 because bearing one another's burdens is simply a way of expressing and showing that we love one another. If I allow anything to distract me from the task at hand, which is trusting God and doing good things, loving my neighbor, helping other people, bearing one another's burdens as a way of helping people. 
then I'm going to not be focused on what God wants me to do. God says, trust in the Lord and do good. Don't keep fretting, worrying about things over here that he's going to take care of. We are to leave aside worry and envy by simply enjoying the blessings that God gives. What blessings does he give if I don't have a lot? For one thing, he gives us the blessings of his love and he gives us the blessings of having brothers and sisters that care about us as members of God's family. He provided Israel a land for them to enjoy and food for them to enjoy each day. He provides blessings to us every day as well. So what are God's people to do? In the first place, trust in the Lord and do good. What else are God's people to do? I think in the second place, I'm skipping ahead now, in verse 7. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. How? How am I to delight myself in the Lord? How do I find delight in God when I don't have much? When the wicked seem to be taking advantage of me? When I want to be worried about all? Like we said, can't fret or worry about something God's going to take care of. By faith, we simply are to focus on receiving the many, many blessings that God gives us. We are to expect all our happiness from Him and seek it. It requires, a, in many ways, a deliberate redirection of our emotions. Instead of focusing on what is happening to me, I need to focus on what's happening with my relationship with God. We studied this summer as we were following Paul through Greece on Wednesday night class, where Paul and Silas were in jail in Philippi. They had been beaten with rocks, and that was a horrific thing that happened to the area that they usually sat on. And now they are locked in the stocks inside the prison, sitting on the area that they just undergone very severe punishment. Wouldn't have been very pleasant. They, didn't, well, they weren't given a fluffy pillow to make things feel better. And in this prison, seemingly at a pretty low point, what were they doing? They were singing and praying. Rather than focusing on the, you know, the woe is me, how could this have happened to us? We were here doing what God sent us over here to do, now look at us. They were focusing by redirecting their emotions away from themselves toward loving and praising God. But you can't delight without effort. You have to change our desires from the things on the here and now to the things that come from God. And that really is part of the whole approach to not fretting about the 50 Teslas that the wicked people may have or whatever. You know, all these different things that all the wicked people may have tons and tons of stuff. i got to not look at the here and now, the stuff here, but to focus on the blessings that come from God. What else do God's people do in the third place? Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Those who wait for the Lord will inherit the land. Because God has promised to faithfully take care of those who put their trust in Him, we can truly rest in the Lord. We can wait patiently for him instead of fretting and worrying and fearing that God's forgotten us or God's going to let evil run right over us or roll right over us. Rest in the Lord speaks of a particular kind of rest. I think that's important. This is the rest of silence. The rest of being still in the Lord, being quiet. Rather than pouring out multitudes of words, words of self-defense. I'm not like these evil people. Why is, this, why is this all happening to me? 
The idea is that we will not speak to vindicate ourselves, to defend ourselves, to actually make ourselves seen in the right. We're simply going to be silent and trust in the Lord to protect us, which he has said he's going to do, which he has said he's going to do. If the spotless lamb of God was silent before those who were taking his honors away and robbing him of his life, I think we need to learn, and this is a hard one, we need to learn to not speak up for ourselves when we think that, hey, I have finished the phrase that I have right. You can't do that to me. Well, apparently they can because they probably just did whatever I'm upset about. It's, it, it's, not, it's not at all right, but God's going to make things right. God is the ultimate balancer of all the accounts. God's going to call everyone to answer for what we have done in the Bible. The wonderful news is that being a member of God's family means God's not going to look at what I have done because Jesus already has paid the price for all of that. A few more things here. The wicked borrows and does not repay. Have you ever had somebody borrow something from you and they just always seem to forget? I'm still owed money from somebody I worked with at a previous job. Oops. I, I really kind of thought when I, he needed the money, I would never see it again. But he's not necessarily wicked, but sometimes people don't repay. Wicked borrow, they take, and they don't repay. Look at the next statement. The righteous is generous and gives. One way to tell the difference between somebody who's living wickedly and somebody who's living righteously is to look at what they do with what they have. And it, it's so hard to, to make sense of here because the whole point of this passage is that the wicked has a lot. The wicked people have a lot of stuff. The righteous has very little. But even with all that the wicked have, they borrow or they take and they don't give it back. And the righteous with so little that they have still give generously. Wicked are takers, the righteous are givers, full of mercy. Here's a big question for us. Which one describes me? Am I a giver or am I a taker? I'm not talking about reaching into somebody's wallet. I'm not talking about when you borrowed something, you got a coat from somebody, you never gave it back. Broadly in our lives, am I a generous person with my time? Somebody needs it. Am I a generous person with love and caring about other people? Am I a generous person financially if I have that ability to be generous? Or am I much more concerned with what I have and whether I can get more? Only you can answer that question about yourself. The thing that scares me sometimes is, Whatever answer I'm thinking of in my head, God already knows the real answer about me. God already knows the real answer about you. The wicked borrows and does not repay, but the righteous is generous and gives. Being generous and giving with whatever we may have comes from the heart if we are a righteous person. Now the last slide, this is from last week, back to Psalm 32. I liked it so much, I'm going to do it again. Psalm 32, 
the psalmist says to God, you are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. God really is a hiding place for us. When we think the wicked are taking advantage of us, when we are beginning to fret that we don't have what other people may have, when we, in fact, feel that there's no place else to go, there's always a place to go. Because God is there. He keeps us safe from whatever comes at us in our lives if we are members of God's family. So that's really the question of all of us today. If you're already a member of God's family and you have been fretting, you've been worrying, you've been facing trouble, there's really good news because we have a Father who wants to hear from you and will gladly bless you with peace, gladly bless you with forgiveness if you need, by coming forward and saying, I need prayers of my brothers and sisters. But if you're not yet a member of God's family, then this hiding place isn't yours yet. It's not. If you're not yet a member of God's family, you need to leave the life of living for yourself and begin living for God. You need to repent is the fancy word for it. Change your life from living for what you want to living your life to what God wants by understanding that Jesus died for you. And then to illustrate the idea of dying to yourself and being raised to live as a member of God's family, to have your sins forgiven, you need to be buried in water right behind us in baptism so that you can be a member of God's family and that hiding place will be for you. Are you ready to be delivered from the power of sin? The opportunity is yours right now as we sing.